Ten years after a series of mysterious murders in the city of Turin, a man seeks to uncover the truth of these unexplainable events. His research is centered around the library, an institution housed in a church-run sanatorium that collects personal diaries from citizens hoping to make a connection to other people. Welcome to Treat Yourself, a book club podcast where each month we read a book and come together to discuss it. I'm Emma. I'm Hannah. And I'm Christina. And today we will be discussing Giorgio De Maria's 1977 novel, The 20 Days of Turin. We are going to begin with our non-spoiler review of the book. Hannah, I know you didn't want to read this book, so please tell us what you thought of it. Oh goodness, you're starting with me. Okay, to start off with full disclosure, I finished the book today, an hour before we started recording. I read chapter one on Wednesday, chapter two on Thursday, and the rest today on Saturday. So (laughs) was that the best way to consume this book? possibly not because <laughs> I don't know I there were parts that I really enjoyed there were parts that I wanted them to focus on more that I wanted to dive more into and, and get to know more about those parts I don't know I didn't want to read it because I thought it would spook me and it kind of did spook me not as much as I thought it would it's really not that spooky everybody's gonna be laughing at me because it's really not that spooky Uh, but I don't know. It was interesting, but I found myself skimming a bunch, but that might also be because I was trying to read the whole book in one day. (laughs) That's my non-spoiler rule. So you just don't know. I just don't know. I honestly, I could go either way. I could go either way with I liked it or I didn't like it. I'm really just square in the middle right now. All right. Christina, what did you think? I really liked the imagery in the novel. I wanted more spooky bits. I was like a little disappointed it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. So the opposite end of the spectrum of Hannah. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting, a little confusing. Okay. Yeah, I agree with most of what Christina said. When I started reading this book... I was very disappointed at how not spooky it was. But I think it it built up and it got to a great point. I thought it had a great ending. I thought mm-hmm. it had a very satisfying horror ending, in my opinion. Uh, so, I mean, it might be one of those things where, like, the ending just brought it all together for me. The novel itself, it's very short. It's barely even a novel really so <laughs> which think, is why i was able to read it mostly in one day <laughs> so i've been debating whether or not it could have worked as a short story and just cut a lot of things out mm. that really weren't necessary but i liked it i was interested the whole time and i found it satisfying okay nice so now that that's out of the way we can get into our spoiler discussion Woo! Of the novel. So my description of the book wasn't very good, I think. But so we'll talk about the book, I suppose. They're really only, from what I remember of the book, I'm the opposite of Hannah where I read it like two months ago. 
(laughs) (laughs) There are really only three major events in the book, which is the first event is our protagonist doing his research and then the middle event of him listening to the audio tapes and then the end. Those are like the three big events. So we'll start with the beginning of the book. We have our narrator who's deciding to investigate the 20 days of Turin. And so he decides to interview the sister of the first murder victim. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Um, So I read that chapter a very long time ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) Okay, so this is where, this is the chapter... Uh, where they first kind of start talking about what the 20 days of turn were. And that's part of the big mystery of the novel, like what exactly happened. Mm, Um, I mean, that's what our narrator is trying to find out. Yeah. But this is, this is the first chapter where they mention insomnia being part of it. So that was like an interesting tidbit. They also mentioned the library for the first time. Oh yeah. So the sister of the first, was it the first victim? Yes. Okay, he had insomnia and went out for a walk at night, and that's when he was murdered. So that's all we really know. Yeah, so this chapter is really just establishing things. It's not explaining anything. No, it's not explaining anything. That's what I noticed was how he kept bringing up the library and how the sister kept, like, blushing at that. I was like, well, why is a library something to blush at? Why is library in quotation marks what's going on with this library? So I wanted to know a lot more about that. So he continues his research with an ear witness to the crime. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so that's attorney, is it Serge? Oh, boy. Segra? If you want to hear us mispronounce Italian names... Oh, it's gonna be so bad. Here it is. We'll just call him the attorney. How about that? <laughs> Segre. Because mm-hmm. I just pronounce everything the way I see it. So I was like, Segre. That's not Italian. It's yeah. not, but that's how I was pronouncing it in my head, too. I have no clue. Yeah. But I, yeah. I called him Sarge. Serge. So he he's a character that pops up throughout the novel, and... He's pretty important. Like, he introduced yes. the narrator to some important characters. Mm-hmm. So chapter two, it's like a, he offers another piece of the puzzle. Uh, he mentions hearing uh, metallic screams uh, in the early mornings. And then I don't know if it was him or someone else mentioned the smell of vinegar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was mentioned in the first chapter, but it's mentioned again here. Okay. Yeah. So just another piece of the puzzle, like what actually happened that night or during those yeah. 20 days. Yeah. 10 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. <laughs> 20, tw- or the 20 days, 10 years ago, and he was only an ear witness and possibly only had ear hallucinations. Yes. <laughs> as the interviewer kept mentioning throughout that chapter. Yeah. I didn't know ear hallucinations were a thing, but... It kind of makes sense. You were having ear hallucinations when, today when you were scared. I I was. <laughs> I got scared while I was making lunch. I was on chapter nine and 
there were lots of voices and st- I think that was after the recordings chapter <laughs> and I was making lunch and I had, you know, with the fan going, I got my dog making noises, I've got the dishwasher making noises and I swear I heard a voice and I jumped and then I just couldn't do anything for us all in like five minutes. <laughs> so, yes, ear hallucinations make sense. <laughs> you were making fun of those so much that you I was had making one. fun of the terminology. I just thought I I don't know. I even looked it up in Italian because I was like it must sound better in Italian. <laughs> but I don't know. It's just like hallucinations of ears in Italian. So <laughs> That's amazing. No. <laughs> yeah, so the attorney doesn't really want to help him out. He doesn't. But he says something along the lines of, but if you find out anything interesting, let me know. <laughs> and his phone sounded like a frog. It went ribbit, ribbit. And I, <laughs> and I had to look that up too. And supposedly, according to Google, ribbit in Italian is also the sound that frogs make. <laughs> This is important to the book, I'm sure. <laughs> it was yes. an important note that I took. I thought it would lead to something. No, I didn't think it would lead to something. Oh I just gosh. found it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> if this is the spookiest thing, I'll be okay. <laughs> That's what I thought to myself at that point. Oh my gosh. Oh so then he uh, he starts talking about the library. Our narrator starts explaining what the library was. And at this point in the novel, I realized, I don't know when he says how he's not a researcher by trade, how he's like regular businessman mm-hmm. works at desk, but just the way he goes about research is so funny. <laughs> he, okay, first off, when he's trying to figure out stuff about the library, he just joins a line at what, like a cheese vendor? Yes, he just starts accosting people. <laughs> no, yes. and it's always women that he's asking about the library. Yes. He's always asking women about the library, and they're always, like, scandalized about it. And so at that point, I was like, I don't understand why they're scandalized. There must be something going on at this library that is apparently only open on Sundays. What is going on? But he's only asking the women about it. Yeah. And they don't want to answer him. <laughs> yes. That was such a weird, hilarious scene. <laughs> He's just like making eyes at this woman. And then it's like, so what do you know about the library? And she's like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought I was just flirting with a man at the cheese counter. <laughs> well, chapter three is called the library yeah it is i think it was my favorite chapter because i was just really intrigued with the library itself i wanted to know even more about it after that chapter so you're finally happy to get some answers i was excited with the library chapter yeah i'm glad you said that because i was i don't know if i was sleepy when i was reading this chapter but i didn't really understand any of it (laughs) i don't know why (laughs) yeah as i was taking my notes because i mean They keep dropping tidbits about the library, so then my idea kept changing. So so my first thought was, so was the library full of people's diaries and you just went there to read other people's journals? And then I was like, oh my, no, it's a place to put wanted ads of a sexual kind. And then then that's when I wrote my note, why was the interviewer only asking women? And I was like, oh no, they just seem to be confessions of desires of any kind? And... 
And then finally, it was some kind of psychological community outreach program that failed miserably. <laughs> like, yeah, it existed in the basement of a sanatorium. Yes. Yeah, so it existed during the 20 days of turn and then was shut down immediately afterwards. We don't know why, if it had any connection with the 20 days or not. But yeah, it it didn't have regular books. It only had diaries that people submitted. And then you could find out people's information. You could be you could ask the the people working there, "Hey, who wrote this? Give me their name and address and then I'm going to go find <laughs> mm-hmm. them." Oh my so, god. <laughs> At first, I compared it to Bumble. I was like, oh, it's like Bumble where you can find a romantic partner or just a friend. But then later on, I was like, no, it started off like Bumble, but then it became Twitter where anybody attacks anybody based off of what they read in the diaries. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was a really interesting idea that... This place was supposed to be used as a way for people to form relationships and get to know each other pre-social media days. It, it just felt very connected to social media nowadays. So I thought it was so funny that this was written in the 70s where yeah. social media wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and yet the parallels of this library, how you write these posts and mm-hmm. you put them in the library and anybody can go and read them and they can pay to then find out more about you and who you are and then they can either go and try and be your friend or they can feel like you're a terrible person and go to try and attack you it was just a very interesting comparison I thought yeah yeah I agree with that now that I understand the library doesn't exist anymore and everything that was in it basically doesn't exist there's they burned they like incinerated most of the uh, diaries There's and journals. Some wreckage that the mayor gave our narrator permission to rummage through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not really helping him in his research. But as we know, he's not a very good researcher. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then next, we hear some witness accounts from people who were tourists at the time. And so that's when we get a little more information about what happened. I loved that chapter. I thought like like the way that they described the scene like was so well done. Like I could picture everything and like these mm-hmm. German tourists, like I wanted to hear more from them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like it's some we find out that the people of Turin are infected with some insomnia inducing virus. And this is like almost the whole village. I assume not the entire village since our narrator was in the village at the time, right? Yeah, but he admits later on, he's like, yeah, I also suffered from insomnia during that time, but I was never wandering the city. Okay, so some people didn't make it outside, I guess? Yeah, I guess some people weren't as susceptible to its effects. I don't know. Hmm. So the German couple, they relate that the second victim, when the second victim was murdered, like everyone had been led to the Piazza Carlo Felice. Or Felice. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a giant gray monster picked up an infected woman and swung her around and smashed her yes. into a prominent figure statue. Yes. <laughs> what? That was disturbing. <laughs> I, f- I feel like, were there mentions earlier of people being picked up and, and like, spun around? When he talks to the sister of the first mm-hmm. victim... 
it's implied that he was smashed into a statue. Mm. And they were saying, you know, who could pick up this guy and swing him into a statue? Right. So you already had this idea of that's what it was. But now you have this eyewitness account of that's what happened. Right. But still, it's like nobody really believed them. And you're still not sure if that's true or not. Oh, that imagery is just so spooky. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think? At this point, did you have any guesses as to what the gray monsters were? I I think I was just really hoping for giants, giant mm. killers. Because the cover of the book, I was like, this is what the book is, right? There's going to be giant people going around <laughs> killing people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I didn't really have any guesses. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know what to guess other than just the very basic Yes, this eyewitness account is correct. This is what happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was just like, oh, this is King Zombie. Like, he's the zombie that's controlling everyone. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So um, the next chapter, chapter five, it's called the Millenaris. What is a Millenaris? I kept meaning to look that up. I'm not... Positive. Isn't a milliner like a hat maker? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I feel like I googled it and they just kept being like, do you think you mean someone who's a millionaire? And I was like, no. <laughs> I just thought it was made up for this book. Oh, hey, yeah, this seems... Alright. Millenarianism is the belief by a religious, social, or political group or movement in a coming fundamental transformation of society after which all things will be changed. Oh, that was that group of, like, hippies outside yeah, of church. Yeah, he meets a bunch of weirdos outside of church. Oh. One of them is the sister of the first murder victim. And they're handing out pamphlets, and they're like, repent, or the 20 days will happen again. Yeah. Uh, yep. So they're just religious weirdos. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Cut that. they're just religious enthusiasts there you go (laughs) that works goodness gracious oh my god so yeah he has that encounter he gets a pamphlet he and this is also the first time where he goes back to his apartment and he gets a phone call and no one's on the other end so creepy okay so i this is so obvious, but it's just something that you don't think about these days. But he's like, oh, someone's checking to see if I'm home to, like, burgle me. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's how people did that? Like, it's so simple because there was no caller ID. You have to answer the phone if it rings to yeah. know who it is. So people always answered the phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my, my God. gosh. That's such, like, a millennial thing to, like, realize. <laughs> yes he he recovers from the phone call and he gets a visit from his friend the flute player yes the flautist (laughs) and our narrator's like yeah i play the recorder for fun okay so cute with his recorder so that was the question i had for you guys how much did you enjoy all the recorder talk because he talked about recorders a lot Okay, it made me want to pick up my recorder, which I totally have, and start playing again. (laughs) 
I mean, I want to pick. I I want to pick back up the recorder after reading this book. Honestly, I mean, I just am shocked that it's like a real instrument that people would play, and not just no, something I... that we play in school. No, no, I, <laughs> yeah. I heard on like the classical music station. It was like, and that was a recorder concerto. I was just like, what? what? <laughs> people wrote That's music for this instrument. <laughs> Those two words should never be combined. A recorder concerto. That's fascinating. Oh my god. We should start a recorder band. We should start a podcast on recorders. But anyway. Oh, also, and then a random friend comes to town, tells a story about a creepy statue. <laughs> a creepy flatulent statue, and then just yes, leaves. The I'm like, why are we talking about statues so much right now and monuments? Like, this is adding to the creep factor. You come into town, tell me this weird story, and then you leave. Like, what? Wasn't he explaining the plot of an opera? Yeah, it was some yeah. opera, and he didn't like who they cast as, um, yeah, as the lead or whatever. Good old Don Giovanni. Yeah, I was going to say, it's Don Giovanni, and... Um, so he made the statue fart somehow, and it really yeah. scared the actor. Well, it's like, like, I think somebody's playing the part of the statue, because I feel like the statue has lines. Yeah. Yeah. But why would that scare him? Because he didn't expect it. I don't know. <laughs> well, Everything scares me. He was, like, scared me. to come on stage, like, the next day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just really didn't want to happen again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very important to the plot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, God. So weird. That visit happens, and then he's approached by a nun. So spooky. Sister Clotilde. Yes. No, because I, I wrote down a line from the book, which was, don't give the sanatorium nuns any reason to pay you a visit. <laughs> <laughs> Advice to live by. Yes. <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> And she's saying things to him like, uh, you know, she's saying something along the lines of stop looking into this. <laughs> stop mm-hmm. it. Stop it right now. <laughs> but she's saying it in just a, a very spiritual way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought it was very like mafioso. Like it was like yeah. an underhanded threat, you know, like don't you need to stop researching this for your own good. You yeah. Know, sort you of better thing. stop now. Yeah. yeah. And he's just kind of like, whatever. But also, you're really spooky. Mm-hmm. Well, He's pretty spooked. When she approached him, it was like, just like I could picture in my mind, it was like true horror movie fashion, where mm-hmm. he just is like trying to get in. He like looks over and she's there. Yes. Um, but like that moment, and then also like the phone with no one on the other end. It's like such like a horror trope. That I was, like, really excited to see it in this novel. I'm like, oh, the Italians <laughs> get it in 1970s. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like these are classic just horror tropes. And they just add to the suspense of the scene. And I thought that was really cool. But so, so he gets a call from the attorney again. And I love it because he yells into the phone, like, stop calling me, because he thinks it's the people. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, prank called him. And the attorney's just like, uh, hey, you still researching that mm-hmm. thing? <laughs> <laughs> and so the attorney tells him to 
go meet my friend Paolo Giuffrida because mm-hmm. he's got some tapes you can listen to. Mm-hmm. And this is when the spooky happened. Okay, so before that, before he went off to see him, I, I wrote this line down. I had the gentle lure of the recorder promising a life of peace and contentment. To the other, I had the name and a phone number of a stranger, yes. a beacon pointing in the dark to a possible landing site nesting all the threats of the unknown. Like, those are his two choices right now. Again, so, like, I love the recorder with my life talk. with my recorder. <laughs> or continue investigating and go to this person who might have some answers. Yes. Those are his two choices right now. Yes. Recorder or answers. Oh. Yes. Love it. Okay. I love the idea, maybe this is too just a touch too early for me to mention, but I love the idea of there being EVPs that people are studying, yes. like the electronic voice phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Like, this must have been, like, at the start of it, like, in the real world, right? Right. Yeah. I, I would think I so. Know. Like, how many... Though, I don't know, maybe, like, as long as radio technology was around, there might have been people thinking... <laughs> about paranormal stuff yeah it might be one of those things where it's been around since like the 50s but it didn't get big till like the 80s or something Mm. this is probably the scariest chapter so spooky kind of but i kind of found humor in it too (laughs) it felt like a missed opportunity to come back to our favorite term of ear witness Mm-hmm. Did not call this person who had the recorder or the recordings an ear witness. Not a once. Such a missed opportunity. No. Not a once. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't really say you're. I don't know. I feel like a witness implies that you saw it and then it's done. But he has the tapes right there, mm-hmm. so he's not really a witness. He's like, here they are. I don't know, but Here's like he overheard evidence. it on the radio and recorded and it. And pressed play. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like like he was listening in on the radio each night and recording what he heard. Yeah, yeah that's true. I would have accepted the use of that term. <laughs> <laughs> so the recordings are just these like long, drawn out sounds at first, and then they start getting more into a semblance of words. And the thing is that. Even though they're just these really strange voices, they're speaking in Italian. So So that was new. He said, I guess in the history of EVP, usually when they record voices, it's in some like Latin or mm-hmm. intelligible uh, language like that sounds demonic or something. So this was one of the first recordings where they're actually speaking the language of the people that live there. So it's kind of like, oh, maybe these are ghosts of Italians, you know, and not yeah. demonic spirits or whatever. And I don't know if the if it happens in this chapter when somebody says this, but somebody's either the narrator or the person with the tapes says something along the lines of, we created this. That's why they're speaking Italian. Whatever this is came from us. <laughs> So then the they start hearing words and it's just a bunch of people playing a game of I spy. Yes. I spy a wall. I spy a church. Yeah. So creepy. And then they start getting a little more argumentative and they say, I spy a few things moving in front of me that I can bring to smite you with. 
That was so creepy. <laughs> As, yeah, they have, they're arguing over like this piece of land. The one says, I spy an island with the castle and trees with durian on them. Yeah, the durian. <laughs> Don't think I didn't notice the durian. <laughs> and the one voice says, oh, you're a liar. And the other says, well, we'll fight over it then. Yes, yes. Oof. So, like, yeah, so then they set a date for a war to begin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's the date that the 20 days of Turin started. So it's yeah. like connection. Here we go. Really, he, the narrator has basically the majority of the puzzle right here. He has all the pieces. <laughs> Though the person he's getting this from is like, you need to keep this confidential. Yeah. You can't. And, and he says that at the beginning of their conversation, but then it's not until the end of it that the narrator goes, wait, so I can't even put this in my book? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, you can't. <laughs> Which then confused me because I was like, we're reading the book and it's in first person and it's as if he's you know writing these events for his book like this book is his book so why is this in his book if this person said i mean later you kind of realize i guess why i know kind of i've got complaints about that i'm confused about that yeah (laughs) probably the same complaint you're saying now but whatever he leaves this guy and there's a car following him Yes. A car following him. Also, this dude has... Okay, back up. Because this dude has a statue in his... <laughs> like, right in front of his house that he's like, yeah, it was super cheap, so I got it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. what are you doing, dude? You have these recordings that make it seem like statues are, you know, picking up people to use as weapons and, like, had a war and everything, and you're just keeping a statue in front of your yard? Why? It's Why? a tiny, a tiny one. I don't care. It's fine. It's... I don't care. <laughs> I was, I was so spooked. Well, and remember before they leave, they hear someone like rustling in the bushes out front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the guy's like, my dog will check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. At this point, I was wondering what all of this had to do with the library. And that's where I would have liked more with this story because I don't feel like it connected back to to the library it just kind of feels like the library shutting down was just a victim of circumstances like it didn't actually have anything to do with this thing the whole time i thought that the library was going to be integral to the murders and that had happened but no it was just statues wanting to have a war with each other and that has nothing to do with the library as far as i know statues I don't think they were statues. They were, were gray they? monsters. Statues are gray. Oh, you're right. I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> yeah, because no, because then, I don't know. I They I, do keep talking about switching I places. I don't remember what, what chapter mm-hmm. it is, but they're like, oh, this is now the Piazza de something something because yes. now when he talks to the that barber. Statue. When he talks yes. to the barber. And the barber's like, I didn't notice any difference. What are you talking about? Nothing changed. Shifty eye, shifty eyes. And he's like, but the name changed. And he's like, yeah, but whatever. Because, yeah, the statues switched places. Because they fought a brutal war with each other by grabbing people around the ankles and swinging them into each other. And then they, like, changed spots. Wow. 
Wow. I now understand the book. Amazing. This is yeah. why we do this. <laughs> yeah. I am understanding. Is that not so what happened? <laughs> no, I didn't realize that's they exactly were exactly what happened. Yeah, I thought that I thought I didn't know they were statues. <laughs> I thought they were gray people. Well, no, I mean there is that one poor man who or a couple poor men who were wrongfully convicted of yes, that, of this. I don't remember. I That's the next part. Okay, that's the next part. Yeah. Uh he's reading newspapers at the public library. A normal old library. A regular mm-hmm. library. And he's reading all about people who are basically scapegoats. And he also... So he's writing about the the foreign press reaction to just everything that's going on. And he says, In the face of such feverish accusations, our own press reacted with unanimous outrage. Our delegates to the European Parliament threatened to quit if... This foreign smear campaign against a city rich with glorious traditions wasn't stopped at once. And when the insinuations continued, as indeed did the killings, our threats took a more concrete form. The most alarming example of which was our determination not to repay huge debts to the International Monetary Fund. Now the overseas papers became newly cautious. And I was like, (laughs) this is so real. (laughs) Oh we're gosh. not gonna pay our debts if you say bad things about us they're like oh okay wow yeah they just started finding tall people and <laughs> locking them up yeah i mean eventually they did get released yeah i can't remember i feel like it was a couple years right <laughs> Probably. I, think, I feel so. like it was four or five years after and then they were just like quietly released yeah that sounds right yeah so this is where <laughs> This is where the book gets a little freaky. Um, so he gets starts getting letters from a, a random weirdo. Oh, yeah. I um, think it was a gargoyle. <laughs> oh, my God. That makes it so much better. Like him sucking on the maraschino cherries. Yes! He, like, crawls up to a the top of a tower because for some reason where he lives there's no staircase and there's no elevator but he lives on the eighth floor so i was like this has to be this can't be an actual person who's just climbing up the garbage chute each night to get home that can't it has to be a statue who's (laughs) writing letters (laughs) yeah so he just gets a letter out of the blue that says hey i write i have a phone book and i write to a different person each day in hopes of getting a pen pal please be my pen pal here is my life story yes and the narrator just decides yeah okay (laughs) this could be important yeah. But I'm really not sure how this relates to anything. I don't know. Was this just another one of those people who was trying to scare him away? Was it? Well, then after this, he starts noticing people taking garbage out of garbage cans. Like the garbage cans are the new library or something. Like yeah. he starts yeah. to think that the library is coming back because he starts to notice everyone's digging through the trash can to find notes. And he yeah. even tosses like some of those freaks like letters into the trash can and he's like oh this is for the next person to find or maybe they'll write him back or something yeah 
I like my theory that it was a gargoyle or a statue that was learning. Because he was also like, mm, there's a little more saliva each time. So I'm like, this statue is, you know, continuing to learn. Just like they learned language, <laughs> you know, it's continuing to pick up human habits. And that's why it just sucks on its one cherry. And it's like, hmm, today there was a little more saliva in my mouth than there was yesterday. Okay. <laughs> is that what it said? I thought it said saliva in the jar. I don't know. There was more saliva. I assumed it came from his mouth. <laughs> yeah, I thought he's like, I suck on the cherry every- This is so gross. I did not want to talk about this part because I've had this image in my head the whole time, like for months now. It's just so gross. But he sucks on a cherry every day. And then when he puts it back in the jar, there's more saliva mm. in the jar. And this cherry keeps getting higher up in the jar. But isn't it better when you think about it as a gargoyle sucking on a cherry? It's better for me. I like it. <laughs> I don't know, but the narrator, I think, concludes that it's just, like, one of the people who was monitoring him and yeah. just kind of playing a joke on him. Yeah. I was also curious at one point if it was somebody from the sanatorium. I don't know, because they don't talk about the sanatorium They don't talk about the enough. sanatorium anymore. It definitely was someone from the sanatorium. It had to be. Because those letters were so rambling and random. So... That happens for some reason. And then the guy with the tapes is murdered. Yeah, yes. possibly by that statue that he bought. <laughs> I suppose so. I think I it was know. a bigger statue. Because it was like one thumbprint, or like two thumbprints on his neck. Yeah, it was, yeah, it. It was like two prints, yeah. So I, I picture them as huge thumbs that like crushed his neck. I mean, I don't know, They the narrator was saying, I mean, I don't see any prints, but it's also been recently raked, and so I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. But our narrator and the attorney, they get in touch with each other and say, we gotta get out of here. We gotta skedaddle. We gotta stop the research, and we just gotta leave. Yep. And so this is the part where our narrator decides that he should make it obvious that he's leaving mm -hmm. to let people know, hey, I stopped researching. I'm leaving. <laughs> gotta take a tour of the city for one last time. Gotta see all the sights. I'm never gonna see them again because I'm out of here. Yeah, I just, I, this guy, it's just like, you wouldn't just get in your car and drive as far away as possible. Yeah. Mm. Also, he broke his recorder at one point and he got a new recorder. He did. We need to make sure that that is clear. Yes. You know, he, mm -hmm. he broke his recorder, but he got a new one because he's, he's moving on. Yes. Yep. And, oh, and before he leaves, he, I think this might have happened in the church, but he sees like that Punch and Judy play. Oh, uh, the creepy puppet play. Which reenacts oh, yeah. the 20 Days of Turin. With the puppets grabbing up people and twirling them around, like grabbing up other puppets that look like people and yeah. twirling them around and attacking the other puppets with it. And it's yeah. like, yeah, that's what happened during the 20 days. Yeah. And it's here in a puppet show for children. Yeah. And he just kind of laughs like, oh, it was here all along. Well, yeah. He's like, yeah, this is how we remember it. This is how people have chosen to move on from it is this puppet show yep but then again most people are scared to even mention it so it's super weird yeah. that they'd have a play with it like just super explicitly played out yeah i don't know 
Then there was the earthquake. The oh, earthquake. Yeah. It interrupts the puppet show and everyone leaves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was confused by the earthquake because it just happened out of nowhere. And I thought, you know, maybe if earthquakes had been happening throughout the book or if earthquakes were part of the 20 days, it would mm-hmm. make more right. sense. But it just kind of happened. It happened out yeah. of nowhere. If they were like, it started with an earthquake. And then yeah. it happened again. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh my god, like, this is crazy. But instead I was like, I'm right. confused. <laughs> well, I mean, also they make it, it doesn't seem like a natural earthquake because they're like, that alleyway is completely fine. It's this just where one we are. is not. Mm-hmm. There are some young guys on walkie talkies watching me <laughs> walking out of this earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> They're just keeping tabs on me, I guess. I'm leaving. Yep. <laughs> oh my god. Still planning on leaving. And he does. <laughs> but first a f- statue visits him in his house. Yes. Knocks in his yes. door and then stands outside his bedroom door. And then just walks away. Ah! Like, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight, guys. <laughs> I totally forgot about that bit, actually. Okay, so he gets on a plane to Venice. Yeah, he's gonna go with his friend, the flautist. And he's gonna practice the recorder and do that for money, supposedly. Yeah, but before he gets on the plane, he sees the millinerists come and Sister Clotilde all like waving goodbye to the plane. And like the young bros, everybody all- (laughs) Just everyone throughout the story. Everyone throughout the story who has been watching him- just shows up to see him off. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, that's weird. Gonna get on this plane. Gets on the plane. Nothing bad could possibly happen. Just honestly, get in your car and drive away. Why did just you- Just drive to Venice. Why? I did have- Why I... do you need to fly? I did look this up. Venice is quite far. I forget how far it was. I think it might have been like a seven hour drive. So flying is probably the more natural reaction. Mm. but also don't take the plane but he says himself that he's not even really a fan of flying oh he should have known he thought it was the quicker option but it really wasn't anyways he gets on the plane there's no flight attendants it's like a pre-recorded message Mm -hmm. at the beginning the cockpit is closed and like everyone around him has this fixed look of terror on their face yeah. Like, the entire plane ride. Yeah, no one's interacting with anyone. It's so creepy. Ah. So then he just falls asleep. Yeah. Natural. Naturally. Naturally, naturally. And he wakes up and he's like, oh, we should be in Venice now, not over the ocean. Oh, yeah. It was supposed to be a half hour flight. So he yeah. takes a nap that feels like it's hours long and they're still flying when, he's wake- when he wakes up. Yeah. So... This is where I got confused, so you guys should explain what happens after this. Okay. Scary stuff happens after. So he he lands. On some kind of island. Some sort of desert-like Desert-like island. island with two big statues. Yes. And everybody gets out of the plane and lines up in two lines. One for the one statue, one for the other. And they get picked up and swung around and he's in the back of the line just the only one who seems to really have any control over themselves 
And he starts playing his recorder. Plays his recorder. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> the ending we've been waiting for. Ends. That's how it ends. That's how it ends. Like, we don't know how they react to his recorder, right? We don't. No. Ah. Uh, yeah. I. What I, was that story? I I loved it. I. <laughs> I mean, is it based off any like folk tales? No. Is so. The thing is, that the story is really about just so everybody basically knew that this happened. That this is what was going on from the beginning, mm-hmm. but they just decide to cover it up, and that they still. I, it's implied that the government, like, contributes to it that sends these Yeah, sacrifices. that was my question. It's, it seemed like it was a government-controlled thing that, you know, either you find people who are susceptible to whatever the sleepwalking insomnia thing is, or you find people who are learning too much and you just ship them off to appease these two statues that they can't control that these two statues that want to just constantly battle each other but it did feel like it was i don't know a a government sponsored thing yeah Hmm. so so he gets he lands on this island and he says there were no airports here the only building was a wooden shack where some uniformed men sat under a canopy with their legs crossed watching the scene impartially and so i had to go back to when he was listening to the tapes mm-hmm. and there was the voice that said i spy an islet 350 meters long shaded by beautiful sago palms and durians defended at its eastern tip by an old but still sturdy dyak fort <laughs> so this fort this old sturdy dyak fort is just a shack that <laughs> this is what they're fighting over wow they both want it so then my other question is going back to the government conspiracy thing and the one person who was like we created them because they're speaking italian was this a government like military thing where they were creating a weapon the weapon was the living statues and it went awry probably the statues started to gain a conscience and could think for themselves maybe Maybe. It, it could be lots of things. How it's all related back to the library, I'm still not sure. I want to know. <laughs> I'm so... I really enjoyed the library part, and I don't understand why... Again, I, I guess it's just a victim of circumstances where things weren't going great with the library, with people using it for more sinister things than making friends, using it more to like hunt people down is kind of the impression I was getting. Yeah. Uh, so I guess when you've got that going on, plus statues murdering people, you've got to put a stop to both. But I don't know. I thought the two would be linked together and they don't seem to be linked together unless the person who created the statues wrote it all down in a diary and gave it to the library. And so the library had to be burned down. But no, there's no way. Like, No. <laughs> you can't get me to assume that. That's too much inference. <laughs> Man, crush my fan theories. No, you can have any theory you want, but... But it's wrong. It's yeah, not exactly. Emma supported. <laughs> just, no, I just... I wish I could 
could find out. What what does the library have to do with any of this? It's like they were just trying to document what people were thinking and feeling during that time. And then yeah. once the 20 days were over, they were like, oh, there's no need for the public to have access to any of this anymore. Let's shut it down. Like, yeah. we're just using it to gather intel for ourselves. Yeah, but I what we were sort of hinting at earlier about this story being his account of what happened. It implies that he survives, but... Yeah, doesn't he survive if he wrote this down? <laughs> Because it it feels very Treasure Island to me, where, you know, the people involved in these events afterwards are writing it down, but, you know, censoring their own names and the names of others to keep it as, like, safe for people as possible. It it felt Mm -hmm. very much in that style, and which implies that he survives the events. But does he survive those events just by playing his recorder? Does the recorder save his life? (laughs) I... I have problems with first-person narratives sometimes when they do this. Because it's just like, how is this person writing this? They are probably dead. Right. I mean, the fact that there's nothing after him playing the recorder kind of implies that maybe he is dead. But But then who wrote it? Yeah, exactly. Was he writing it while this was going on? Was this partially his first-hand account partially the statue's finishing his account for him and publishing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, we figured it out. Yes, we did it. (laughs) I don't know, because the final chapter is still in first person. Well, they could have written it in first person to be like, look, this guy, he survived, he's okay. (laughs) (laughs) His recorder saved him. Look, he wrote this. Now come to our island and play. (laughs) Uh, That was the book. That was the 20 Days of Turin. I liked it. I did too. It was interesting. I don't know. I'm confused because it spooked me. (laughs) (laughs) Again, there there were parts that I really liked and then there were parts that I kind of skimmed through. Or I tried really hard not to skim through because that would be unprofessional. But I really wanted to skim through them. I don't know. I wanted more with the library. I wanted... I wanted I wanted that to be connected to the statues, but it, it wasn't. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, I there were there were a lot of parts that I liked, and I was not expecting that from a book that I knew would spook me, based on the cover alone. I hate the cover. I didn't know that the cover was an actual painting, but then yes. I found that out. And so the actual painting isn't in black and white, and you can actually see what's going on. I didn't realize that the giant figure had people that it was, like, tossing on the ground. <gasps> Whoa! Okay, I looked at the original image, but I did not notice that. Oh, that makes it worse. Yeah. Oh my god, you can kind of see it. Yeah, you can kind of see it, but when you see the original one with the colors, what is it's? Oh, interesting. The, this is kind of off topic, but the description for it on the cloud library app is it starts off saying written during the height of the 1970s italian domestic terror Hmm. yeah which yeah when i was reading adds context about that is is basically saying things like state-sponsored terrorism Mm. or just like government ignoring active terrorism so things like that definitely influenced it Okay, do we have any final thoughts on the book other than what we've rambled about? 
it was fine. Not as spooky as I thought, but still pretty spooky for me. And I'm gonna be spooked for a bit. Okay, so this book, I liked it. I recommend it. It's a very interesting and kind of like thinking about it from like the statues. I guess I think thinking about it from the perspective that I think Hannah had the whole time, like everything is the statues, like, oh, that's a gargoyle <laughs> writing this letter. And I think that makes it more fun of a novel to read. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Yep. <laughs> I liked it. All right. Well, this is the part where we give our recommendations for other books that are like this. Hannah, do you have any recommendations? I do. I have a recommendation that, like most of my recommendations, is only very loosely connected to this book. Uh, so I have a nonfiction book called Conan Doyle for the Defense by uh, Marguerite Fox. And it's about a wrongfully convicted man and how from 1908 and how Sir Arthur Conan Doyle helps to get him finally released. Oh. We get to see some investigating going on that is possibly a bit better than our narrators investigating, but also not because there is a lot of corruption that led to this poor man being convicted and Ooh. sent to prison for 18 years. It just makes me angry. Ooh, I'm drawn in by the cover. <laughs> it's really pretty. Christina, do you have anything to recommend? I do. So I think that if you liked this novel and the mystery of it, then you would enjoy um, Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy. Um, the first of that trilogy is Annihilation, which a movie was made based on recently. And oh, yeah. it's just about like this mysterious area. It's called Area X and all these bizarre findings from that area annihilation in particular it's written in first person and they're just trying to unravel this mystery that just continues to get deeper and deeper as the novel goes on and it's pretty reminiscent of this book and it's sci-fi <laughs> it's more sci-fi than horror so yes mm. yes <laughs> nice okay emma did you have any recommendations Yes. Okay. I mean, not really, but <laughs> I'll give some anyway. So I don't read enough horror or slight horror. See, this was just enough horror for me. I just, I thought it was great. But I read short stories that are sort of horror. So this book reminded me of Lovecraft at first, but that's because mm -hmm. I was disappointed that it wasn't spooky, but yeah. then it was spooky. So I thought it was a lot better than Lovecraft. I hate Lovecraft. Um, I have to say something I hate every episode, so I had to get that out there. So maybe some really good Poe. I would recommend Berenice is my favorite. And maybe some really good Cortazar, like House Taken Over, is my recommendation. Cool. So Hannah, what are we reading next time? Uh, so next month we'll be reading and discussing Infinity Sun by Adam Silvera. Uh, so the short version of the description is balancing epic and intensely personal stakes. Best-selling author Adam Silvera's Infinity Sun is a gritty, fast-paced adventure about a magical war generations in the making. 
brotherhood, love, and loyalty will be put to the test, and no one will escape the fight unscathed. Alright, thanks for joining in on our discussion, and until next time, don't forget to treat yourself.